Well, this morning I would like to share with you from Matthew chapter 2, that wonderful passage that we find in this gospel. It was read already for us this morning of the wise men who gather to Jesus to worship Him and to praise Him. And so if you like to follow along, you can this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2. We'll find that on page 807 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 2. I don't know if you've ever traveled to London, uh, but if you do uh, and you go to the Buckingham Palace, uh, they will fly a flag over the palace when the Queen is in residence. And so if you see the flag flying over, the Queen's flag over Buckingham Palace, you know, well, the the Queen is there. In fact, the the custom is is that wherever the Queen goes, her flag goes. And so you might travel throughout England and, and come upon a castle with her flag flying up high. And you go, okay, uh, the queen is there. The queen has come. I, I kind of think of Christmas like that. It's, it's this flag that the king has arrived. The, the, the king has come. And, and in fact, he is a much different kind of royalty than those that parade around this world of ours. In fact, Philip Yancey, the, the great Christian author, um, decided to compare the two. Uh, recently, uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, visited the United States, and he had some interesting comments I share with you this morning. He wrote, In London, looking toward the auditorium's royal box where the Queen sat, I caught glimpses of the way rulers stride through the world, with bodyguards and a trumpet fanfare and a flourish of bright clothes and flashing jewelry. Queen Elizabeth II recently visited the United States, and reporters revealed all the the behind-the-scenes details and logistics for such a visit to take place. 4,000 pounds of luggage. You get 40, right? She gets 4,000 pounds of luggage, contained more than you ever think imaginable. Her luggage contained two outfits for every occasion, a mourning outfit in case someone died and she needed to attend the funeral. She brought along her own hairdresser, two valets, and dozens of other attendants. Carefully kept within her luggage were 40 pints of plasma in case of a medical emergency. Even a brief visit of of royalty to a foreign country can cost upwards of $20 million dollars. Yancey continues writing, In contrast, the Son of God, true royalty, traveled to earth without any of the amenities of first class, landing in an animal shelter with no attendants present, nowhere to lay the king without borrowing the feed trough from the indifferent animals that shared their hay that night with their creator. He is a much different monarch. His majesty did not come to this earth with 40 pints of emergency blood. In fact, he came to this earth to give his blood away because there already was an emergency. Namely, our sin. Our rebellion. Last week we had the honor to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 2 
And we considered how these magi responded, and in fact, how everyone responded to the coming of the Messiah. And I, I want this Christmas morning just again to briefly consider this passage, and not consider how others responded to him, but who he is, how he's described to us. As you think about Christmas, you might think, well, Jesus came as a Savior, and, and of course he did. He came to redeem us, save us. But you might think about Christmas, okay, well, he came as Emmanuel. God to be with us, and of course He did. Maybe you think He came as a shepherd, a, a caregiver to provide and protect for us, and certainly He did. But this morning, let's just consider how the Magi saw Him. As you know in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is He who has been born King of the Jews. You see, first of all, this morning that Jesus is understood to be the King of the Jews. The Magi are in agreement with the prophets, for you note in verse 6, and quoting from Micah chapter 5, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you, has co- you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so the prophet have foretold that a ruler would come from Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem's a little town, and yet uh, a little country town outside of Jerusalem, about five miles. And yet, if you read the Bible, you'll find out incredible things happen in this town. It is in Bethlehem that Jacob buries Rachel, for instance. It is in Bethlehem where Ruth gleans from Boaz's fields. It is in Bethlehem where David tends to his flocks. And, and, and all this was happening in Bethlehem, and, and yet then God's people rebelled against God. And he took them to exile and to Babylon for 70 years, and then brought them back to Israel, and no one cared about Bethlehem anymore, except this prophet named Micah, who some 600 years before Jesus was born, gave us a prophecy and declared that the king... A king, the king, will be born. The king of the Jews will be born from Bethlehem. And by the way, all the religious uh, elite knew that the Messiah was coming to Bethlehem. So Herod asked them this question, as you see in verse 4. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, right, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And they went on to quote uh, Micah. They knew. It's in Bethlehem. In fact, this was such a common knowledge that is actually a stumbling block to Jesus' claims. In, in John chapter 7, some are saying of Jesus, this is the Christ. But some answered, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from Bethlehem? So everybody knew that, right? And, and the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Their problem was Jesus is from Galilee in the north. He's from this town of Nazareth. Well, I'll tell you, he may have lived in Galilee. But he was born in Bethlehem. It just so happened that Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the, the, the Western world, who, by the way, knew nothing of Micah, ordered a census, a tax upon his people, that he might count them and tax them. They all returned to their ancestral homes. It just so happened that uh, Joseph's ancestral home was Bethlehem. And it just so happened that, that the, the time that Caesar ordered the census happened to be the last days in Mary's pregnancy. And, and it looks like this, this Caesar Augustus is controlling the events of the world. And I tell you, in reality, he's simply God's errand boy to make his promises fulfilled. 
This happened months earlier, months later. Jesus would have been born in Nazareth, but God is orchestrating the events of the world to fulfill those promises. The king must be born in Bethlehem. But, but why? why? Why must he be born there of all the time? What's wrong with Nazareth? I'm not, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure why. But I will tell you that God had once told David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. See, this promised king was to be a descendant of David. And Gabriel, the angel, will come to Mary in Luke 1. He would say, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Please understand that Jesus did not come as simply some generic human being. He came as the son of David. And so why born in Bethlehem? Well, my best guess is that he is born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem is the city of David. And he has come to be the king of the Jews. As the Magi announce. But of course that, that raises another question. Well, why do these Persians come to see the king of the Jews? Well, I mean, why do they care? They have their own king, right? And there may be this year, there may have been a baby born in America that one day will become president. And no one is seeking him or her. So why, why are they seeking, why, why are, is just a king of this small little, the regional nation occupied land? Why do they come to seek him? Well, I think Herod even helps us understand that. You notice he says in verse four, after they ask where the king of the Jews was, Herod says, assembling all the chief priests and of the scribes and the people he inquired of them, look at this, where the Christ was to be born. You see, Jesus is not simply the king of the Jews, though he is. He is the Christ. In other words, he is the king of kings. He's just not king of this little area. He's the king of, of this world. We see this throughout the, the Christmas stories. For instance, the angel said to the, to the shepherds in the fields, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's right. So he is not just the, the king of the Jews, he is Christ. Now Christ is not his name, it's a title. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. They're the same words. It means the anointed one, the promised anointed one. See, Jesus is not simply another political leader like Herod. Herod is called king throughout this passage, as we saw last week, but he is never called the Messiah. The, the Magi... The, they come and they, they worship Jesus, and that's helpful, as we talked about last week, in, in giving us a model of what worship looks like. But I think even more importantly is that their worship itself is evidence that He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, not simply just a king of a country, but He is the, the King of kings. The prophet Isaiah said, of the Messiah Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I think what Matthew is showing here, what Luke already announced, that he is this promised king for all nations. Not just Israel. For all nations. In other words, the, the king of the Jews is the king of these magi. He's their king. He's our king. He is 
king over this world. I love how the book of Revelation starts describing his reign. uh, John writes, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus Christ, listen to this, the ruler of the kings of earth. The king of kings who rules over every nation. He rules over every president and prime minister, every chief and premier, every czar and general. I tell you, on January 20th, after our President Trump is sworn in and he would say to Jesus, you can't rule over me. I have been elected by the citizens of these United States. We are a sovereign, independent nation. King Jesus could rightly say to them, I do rule over you, for I have been elected by God himself the creator of this world, and I sit at his right hand and I rule over every king in this world. Merry Christmas. Christ Jesus is alive and sits at the right hand of God on high and reigns from heaven over every king and every general. I'll tell you, he cannot be defeated. Revelation 17, they'll try. One day, they will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is reigning without a chance of defeat. I tell you, if you you let that capture your heart, it will change the way you live. It will change the way you watch the news. It will change the way you consider what's happening in this world in the midst of all the turmoil that's happening, all the upheaval. Just, I mean, how fast is our world changing? whether it be morally or just the enemies that are abounding, you need to remember in the midst of it that Jesus Christ is ruler of the kings of earth. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. He, as king of kings, rules over every nation, every president. And that means, by the way, that He gets to rule over you. He reigns over every citizen. He has the right to claim from every nation in this land subjects for himself. This is why I think Matthew begins his gospel with these Gentiles worshiping Jesus and his birth. And then he ends his gospel with that great, that great commission where Jesus sends all those who follow him as ambassadors to the nations. In fact, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. He says, I have it all. If there is an authority, I have it. I have it all here on earth. I have it all in heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Because I have authority over them. I have authority in every nation. Therefore, you're to go and bring people into allegiance to me. Right? Bring people as my subjects. And by the way, it's happening all over the world. All over the world. People are swearing their allegiance to him. They are bowing to this king in submission. I think the the recent statistics are somewhere around 25,000 people every day surrender to King Jesus in faith and repentance, right? Merry Christmas. King Jesus' kingdom abounds to this day. And subjects from, from all lands are swearing their allegiance to him in love. And by the way, this happens despite the best attempts of our world. 
this happens to, the, I think, the great annoyance of the elite in our world. Right? The, the world scorns. You do understand this, I trust. They scorn at Jesus and what Jesus taught. And yet millions are coming to Him, just to their great annoyance every, every year. The world says, listen, this whole thing is going to blow over. This whole Christianity thing, it's going to fade away. It's never going to amount to anything. This is what they have been saying for 2,000 years. Jesus is Savior, saving from sins. Come on. Resurrection, virgin birth, come on. Get with the times, they say. Jesus as King is just silly. The world says to us, listen, Christians, you're on the wrong side of history, they say. They say, get with the times. It's a fad, they say, as we grow in technology and we understand the cosmos and understand what's going on with inside of us. Jesus will lose his hold on us. This is what we hear. This is what they've been saying for 2,000 years. The world will keep mocking and dismissing Jesus until one day they have to stand before him as their judge. He is not just the King of Kings. He is just not the King of the Jews. He is lastly the returning King. He is coming back. In John 16, verse 28, the Lord said, I've come from the Father and come into this world. You know, Jesus would say things like that many, many times. I'm, I, for this reason I've come. For this reason I've been sent. I've come into this world. You see, Christmas is not... Not simply that Jesus was born. Christmas is that Jesus came. That he has always existed. He, he is the, the uncreated second person of God. He has no beginning. He has always been. And yet he came into this world by becoming like us. By becoming man. Fully God and fully man for all eternity. I mean, just consider that. That God would become part of His creation in order to save His creation. Jesus would say things like, before Abraham was, I am. Right? He didn't say before Abraham was born, I was born. That would be wrong. Of course Abraham was born before Jesus. But before Abraham was born, Jesus says, I am. I, I have always existed. And He's identifying Himself as the great I am revealed to us in the book of Exodus, the eternal God. He says, I, I've always existed. I am the I am, and I have become a man who walked among you and forever shall be. Wayne Gruden, I think, this, uh, one of my favorite theologians, says of the incarnation, it is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing than the creation of the universe itself. It, the fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to human nature forever so that the infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. He who had no beginning became like us. And he who has no beginning will have no end. Just as the angel said to Mary in Luke 1, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
You see, one day this ruler, this king of kings, will come to this earth and he will identify himself to every person alive and every person who has ever lived at that time as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will begin to rule over a new earth for all eternity. A new earth washed free from its stains of sin. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. So I tell you, Merry Christmas this morning. Our King is coming. And He will make all things new. All things right. As the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Do you know this king? Is he your king? I have been commissioned by him. To tell you this very day, that the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of heaven and earth, offers amnesty to all who will lay down their rebellion and bow their knee to Him in faith and repentance. He will wash away all your sin that you have committed, are committing, and will commit Through His shed blood upon the cross, He will pay that price completely. He will counsel your debt. He will give you His record of righteousness if you will swear your allegiance to Him. Full amnesty. Full freedom. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart Prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Have you prepared your heart for him? Have you received this king? In the name of King Jesus, come. Bow to him. Swear your allegiance to him and receive his gift. Receive the gift of Christmas joy and salvation and delight forever. And as you bow, worship Him, just as the Magi did. They found Him that day at Mary's lap. And in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, And they go in, and going into the house, they saw the child Mary with His mother, and they fell down and worshipped Him. My Christian brothers and sisters, worship the King who came at Christmas. Worship the King who reigns over the nations. Worship the King who is coming to finish His work. Praise Him with your hearts, with your life, with your loves and your joys. Let Him rule over you with joyful obedience and passionate submission to Him. Announce to others the authority that He has in your life that you might bring joy to earth. Declaring that the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat their sounding joy. In fact, shall we not worship Him this morning at this table? That we would praise Him as we remember 
that it is our King who did not come to be served by us, but to serve us by giving His life as a ransom for many. We come to this table to remember His broken body and His spilt blood for sinners such as I and you. And we find great joy in His gift of love and mercy and grace. And so in a moment, I want to ask all who know Christ as their Savior to take a moment of thankfulness in your heart, just silent gratitude and praise, repenting of any sin He might reveal to you, and that you might come to this table with a clean conscience and great joy in your heart for what Christ has done for you. If you're visiting with us this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, we are, of course, delighted that you are here. You are welcome anytime, every time. But we would ask that you would not participate in this meal as the plates go by. Um, The Bible tells us that this is a meal reserved for those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. Will you do us that honor? And for the rest of us, let us prepare our hearts as we pray silently.